Morning, Sunday people. We have had a busy week. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot happening here. Uh, before, we, before we dig into the text, uh, I wanted to share with you some of the, just a few highlights of what's been happening over the last, my goodness, six or seven days, and ask you to continue to pray for a few things, uh, many up in the air for a while, and now we're trying to land a few of them. Uh, we're really close to uh, having an arrangement with a, a new choir director uh, who will lead us up to a Christmas program, so I wanted to let you know that. Yeah, Please keep, keep praying for that as we finalize all the details, and uh, we, we're just grateful that there's not a, been a big gap between uh, Mark, hi friend, good to see you, always great to, great to have you, uh, Mark stepping aside and uh, re-engaging, so... Uh, really pleased about that, and keep praying for the details. We had a huge day here Yes, sorry. We had a big day here yesterday. Uh, we hosted the uh, Los Ranchos Presbytery from 8.30 in the morning till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. About this number of folks here were <clears throat> in the sanctuary, worship center here, doing the business of the church. I am extremely grateful for all the deacons. So many people stepped up to do so much. Uh, it was really amazing to watch all of you. A special shout out to Barbara Blant and Mary Allred, <clears throat> Roxanne Young, and I think almost all the deacons were here as well. So grateful to each of you for your extending hand of care, uh, compassion, and hospitality, and prayer. And they do other things too. They visit folks in the hospital. Uh, they even uh, do homebound communion. So really pleased and grateful for our deacons. I even received a card, and I want to read you a card that I received. It was sitting on my desk. Uh, some church mouse came in in the middle of the night and dropped this card off. And it says, thanks for hosting Presbytery. And here's what I want. This is the main part. Great people, great spirit, great leadership, uh, great and deep love, Karen and Forrest Clausen. So uh, if you know the Clausens, they are very grateful. He's the stated clerk of polity. Uh, for the Presbytery, and she's also a uh, teaching elder in our Presbytery. Last night, so we get done at 2 o'clock, uh, some of us go home, change, and went to a wedding, so we're going to pray for uh, Larry and Kayla Gonzalez, who were married last night, and of course they're the daughter. Kayla, yeah, go ahead. A little more enthusiasm would be nice. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, great. I'm glad they got married. <laughs> Kayla and uh, Kayla is the daughter of Don and Karen Mahoney. So we celebrate. We celebrate with them. Also, on the way out today, if if you want deeper prayer, there's there's folks that have blue name tags on, and they're here to listen to your story. They're here to believe your story. They're here to not judge your story. They are here to hear you, to care for you, and to pray with you. So if you would like some deeper prayer, uh, even the things that were submitted or things that weren't, find them and they will be just over the moon excited uh, in praying with and for you. So, okay, that's enough of our little community business. We've been on a journey where we're going through the, Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to talk today uh, that 
as we're in this conspiracy of love, what, what does this conspiracy of love look like as Jesus goes about ministry wherever he is? You know, again, the, the, tra- the trajectory of Jesus' ministry is always out in the streets. It's in the neighborhood. It's in the lowly places. It's where, where folks are hurting. It's where folks are marginalized. It's where folks don't have a voice. It's where folks have been pushed aside. It's for the unlovable in Jesus' day. That's the great picture of Luke attending to the physical and spiritual needs of those who are on the margins. And uh, that's where we're at. And Jesus has been doing amazing things to this point. We're about a third of the way through. He's healing people. He's teaching. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Anybody feel lame? We were dancing last night at the, par- at the uh, wedding, and Don wanted me to go back out, and I'm like, I, I might have pulled a hammy. <laughs> so anyway, she coaxed me back out, and I think, I think I worked my way through it, so I got that going for me today. But uh, It's just another reminder that I'm not getting younger. How disappointing. And so in our story, and where we're at in Luke now, is is a strange moment because in the midst of all this amazing ministry out in the streets, there's there's this insertion that almost parachutes in. And John's apostles are sent to speak to Jesus to ask Jesus if Jesus is the one. So it's kind of like a, it's kind of like Luke pulls off to a rest stop on the side of the road. And while they're at this rest stop on the side of the road, another car pulls up, and it's John's two disciples to ask a very inquiring question. Hey, man, are, are you the guy that we've all been waiting for for so long? And that's the story that we're going to look at and look into this morning. So, um... A number of years ago, the, there's drinks came out that were supposed to give you lots of caffeine and sugar and energy. You know what I'm talking about? Red Bull. Anybody had a, have had a Red Bull in their entire life? Okay, a few people have had a Red Bull in their life. Now, the first time and only time I had a Red Bull, my buddy, Dean, said, Tobe, these Red Bulls are great. You should, you should try one. And I had already had a cup of coffee. And it was, it was early in the morning. And Dean said, here, I'm on my third or fourth one. This, is, this, really, this really helps me get going. And I, I said, try one. So I, I, okay, what's in it? Oh, it's just, it's just caffeine. It'll just, it kicks in fast. Okay, so shh, open it up. I take one gulp, and by the time it reached my stomach, my eyeballs went from this to this. Right? I mean, a little hyperbole, obviously, just to make the point, and to get the reaction out of you that I was glad to just receive. Um, by the time I finished the drink, I was shaking so hard, I could not, absolutely could not believe it. I'm kind of sensitive in emotion and definitely in my body. So that was the first, last, and only time I had a Red Bull. Now, I love the name Red Bull. Right? It's kind of this adrenaline-filled, and, and extreme sports guys are into this stuff. Right? Like Red Bull has all kinds of skateboard championships and 
snowboarding and all this extreme sports stuff. So I'm really enthralled with the idea of a Red Bull, but I'm just going to pass. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really think it's a better idea that my heart stays inside my body <laughs> than find its way outside of my body for some fairly obvious reason. So if you're a monster... Uh, if you like those monster drinks or Red Bull, go for it. Have a great time. Um, I'll, just, I'll just have a glass of water. <laughs> when we look at this text that I'm about to read, I think we need to have our expectations about ministry amped. Re-amped. Reset. Because Jesus in this story resets all expectations about the way the church ought to be and do church in the neighborhood. That's why I love this text. I do not need Red Bull to get into this text. One other question before we get in. What do you think are some of the expectations of a healthy church. And I might push you a little bit on this. What are your expectations when you walk into this place about what you want to receive or see? A warm reception, the word, prayer, soundness, and the how am I doing so far? Okay, thanks. Man. Will you put that in writing and have it notarized? What else? Oh, okay. Hi, man. How you doing? Anything else? Community. Okay. Authenticity. What does... Okay, now here's where I'm going to start going a little deeper, right? What do you mean by authenticity? Okay, good. Now let me ask another question. Who said something about the, t the word? Okay, can I ask you, can I dig deeper with you for a minute? Because somebody else said music, and I want to dig deeper there too. Okay, so when you encounter Jesus Christ in the word, what, what grid do you run that through? What expectation grid do you run that through in your mind? Okay. Okay, so he's looking for guidance in his life and he's looking to the Word to find that. Does any of us here, when we read the Scripture, want to read the Scripture in a way that it tells us what we already think we believe? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple hands. I might have asked that question improperly. but In other words, do you read your own personal expectations of the way the world is into the text? Or do you allow the text to, upon occasion, if not weekly, explode everything you think you know about the way God works in the world? 
I, yes. The point of this is authentic honesty. Now, there's not one single person of us in the room that would say, I don't want to be left to myself and my own ideas alone. Correct? But more often than not, that's what we want to hear. Dramatic pause. Okay? Now, what are, somebody's had a, a, an expectation about music. Oh, boy. Who said that? You're pointing to your wife, and she's pointing over here. Okay. And I'm mimicking too because I'm supportive of music. Okay. And specifically, it's, for me, it's more music and the lyrics because familiarity brings people. Okay, so. You feel closer. Yeah. So, music and more importantly, the lyrics because the lyrics, whatever they are, and the way they're packaged with the. the and music is violent. Even tender music is violent. You don't get the tender sound of a harp or a cello string until you violently pluck it. And the reality of the violence of the pluck of a string of, on the cello is really no different than the bang of a stick on a drum. They're both equally violent. They just bring different sounds. What makes one more important than the other? Nothing. Again, so see how expectations? You, feel, you feeling where I'm going with this for a minute here? I'm trying to create some chaos. <laughs> some provocations. The point being this. We have all kinds of different expectations of the way things ought to be. And so did John. John and his disciples had certain expectations of the way the Messiah ought to be. And we're going to find out in a moment that Jesus was not fulfilling those expectations. And so John, in a state of ambiguity, bewilderment, even being perplexed, certainly doubting, sends his emissary of two of his followers, because John's in jail, for doing the things that he thought were the right way to do things, to ask Jesus, who really wasn't doing things the way John thought Jesus ought to be doing things, if Jesus was really the one. You see the tension here, the conflict, the ambiguity? And that's what's happening in this story. So let's read the story, and I think you'll see uh, what I mean by that as we make our way through. Okay, and then we'll, we'll unpack it a little bit. And I hope by the end of the morning uh, that we're going to have uh, our expectations of what it means to be and do church totally amped. Totally re-amped. Okay? All right, John's disciples told him about all these things. Now, all these things that Jesus had been doing. Calling two of them, John sent them to the Lord to ask, isn't it a great question? Hey, man. Sorry, that's not in there. Dude. Yeah, that's not in there either. Brother. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Do you, do you catch the drama? 
This is very, very dramatic. Jesus is not fulfilling John's expectations. Essentially, John wants to fire Jesus. This guy's just not working out, man. He's not doing what I thought he should be doing. Let's go to the next slide. How about right now? Oh, there it is. Does anybody have a Red Bull? (laughs) Coffee would be better. Okay, when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, (laughs) are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? Total ambiguity. They don't know. They doubt. At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, gave sight to many who were blind. So Jesus replied to the two messengers, the emissary, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. Isn't that cool? Don't go back to report to John what you believe. Go back to John and tell him what you've seen people doing. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to not the rich people like all of us, but literally to the poor people. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. After John's, whoa, bigger font for me. I like this size. After John's messenger left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And I I just find this whole thing fascinating. So he starts talking to the people now about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed in the wind. In other words, did you go out to the wilderness to see the same old, same old, just the new younger version of what you always get? Is that really what you went out there to see? Or did you go out into the wilderness to see and hear something innovative, something truly transformational? Or was it just the next, younger, the next generation's younger version of the older generation's? That's what's happening. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? TV preacher, maybe? I'll play to that stereotype for a moment. No, man, those, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. So again, but what did you go out to see? Did you go out to see a prophet? Yes, we went out to see a prophet. We went out to see a prophet who would give us a vision of a new way to live that's never going to be about the same old, same old, a reed swaying in the wind. Nor did we go out there to see somebody dressed in fine clothes flying in his helicopter from one megachurch to the next. We didn't go out there to hear a rock concert and a pep talk. We went out to hear the the very deep, profound life-changing, transformational message of Jesus Christ. That's what we went out there to see. 
Yes, a prophet. Tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least, you got to love this, friends, because this is you. The one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. We're all greater than John. Because of the prophetic role of John in paving the way for not the same old, same old. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? Now this is just downright irritating of a little parable here. They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all of her children. The reading of God's slightly provocative, hopefully inspiring, and definitely at least encouraging word this day. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Everything, everything is up for grabs. Every major institution is up for grabs. And yet, in the midst of that level of ambiguity, doubt, we see the realm of God at work on behalf of those pushed to the margins because of the prophetic word of John fulfilled in Jesus. And we know that this is not popular, but it is our call the conspiracy of love when we go demands a whole new set of expectations. Challenge us this day to have our expectations reset. May we get amped by them. In your name, amen. I think, there's, I think there's just a reset. You know, this, is, this story is just like hitting a reset button in, in terms of all of our expectations about what it means to be church today, plain and simple. And I think it's about getting amped. Now, amped is going to be an acronym 
We need to reset our expectations around this word that begins with A called ambiguity. Ambiguity versus certainty. Ambiguity. It's okay to question. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to be bewildered. It's okay to scratch our heads. It's okay to wonder where God is in the midst of everything. Within the church and outside of the church. Uncertainty and doubt, they're not new to anyone who truly is seeking a life with Christ. I can't tell you how many times a day I, I doubt. How about you? How many times a day I doubt something? <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Now what do I do? I don't know. And when I'm faced with some serious doubt, which is seriously every day, my internal psychic dialogue goes something like this. I don't think I'm gifted enough to handle this. I didn't train with that specific skill set. I don't think I have enough information. I am so caught off guard, I don't know what to say. Maybe I should just not say anything. I'm ambiguous. I'm certainly caught between certainty and confusion. Anybody been there? Just kind of got nothing. And there are times also when I doubt my own faith too. Do you? This should be a place where you can doubt your faith. <laughs> what I'm trying to do is to create some space for stories. I mean, really, Jonah in the whale for three days? Seriously? Really? I'm not here to debate whether he actually was in or in the whale for three days or not. More just to suggest that what do you do with the, the literal reading of that, recognizing that during that day there were 700 ancient cultures who had a story about the same thing. So then you kind of go, well, maybe it wasn't about the dude being in the belly of the whale for three days. Maybe it was about the truth of the story where God uses somebody that just was so stubborn and didn't want to go and ended up going there, and God did the thing that the guy was sent there to do that he didn't want to go do in the first place. You know, how do you live with ambiguity? How do you live with doubt? There should be room in the, in the church for doubt. And there certainly was in our story this morning because John didn't even believe Jesus was the one. He had this moment of, I doubt it. We better go check it out. And so they did. They doubted whether Jesus was the promised one. Or should they look, I mean, I love this, twice. Should we look for somebody else? This doesn't seem like a good pastoral fit, my man. I 
Now, the interesting thing about doubters is doubters are a little different than skeptics. Doubters have faith. Something happens and they either wonder if they still have faith or they literally set faith aside. They know they want to get back to faith, but they can't. They're stuck in doubt. And they need somebody to walk with them through that doubtful moment and re-engage faith. Skeptics are quite a bit different. Skeptics believe, then they get stuck, and they don't know where they want to go from there. They just stop the journey and backpedal. I believe, oh, this thing happened. That's dumb. That's illogical. That was ridiculously hurtful. I'm out of here. Fairly significant difference in the trajectory of the journey between a doubter and a skeptic. So when we're thinking about expectations around this conspiracy of love, I think it needs to create space for ambiguity and doubt. There's got to be room for ambiguity. And this is hard in a world of certainty. Because I know a lot of us have doubts these days. Who's telling the truth? Are we going to ever get the truth? Are we going to find the truth? Right? I also, I, I, I'm just going to refrain. This week has been a trigger for many people regarding stories of survival. The church, this church, ought to be a place where survivors can come and be heard, can be believed, not be judged, and be taken ever so gently by the hand and walked across the chasm to healing and wholeness and health. I think that's found only in Christ. Just my bias. You kind of want that in your pastor, though. You see, the psychological adversity that doubt carries with itself is the very seed of real growth. In the story, Jesus didn't match John's expectations. Too much ambiguity. The good news is the story doesn't end there, right? But I think if we reorientate some of our expectations around a little more uncertainty and ambiguity, there would be more space to have healthy, respectful conversations. Because if we're so bound out bound up in our own certainties, there is no room for ambiguity. Therefore, there is no room for respectful 
conversations. A conspiracy of love creates space by creating ambiguity and allowing Christ to go right in the center of that place. Now the other way we ought to reset our expectations is in Jesus' response. Hey look, just notice what's being done. See, the issue is not one of belief in Jesus as the Messiah with John. The issue is around the things that the Messiah is actually doing. And it didn't fit their idea of political revolution. To put down the Roman oppressor and to become the new world's superpower. Jesus didn't do any of that. So he didn't meet even John's expectations. Jesus says, no, I have a different realm in mind. And it goes like this. Um... I'm going to cure people. The blind will receive sight. The lame will walk. Lepers will be cured. The deaf will be heard. The dead will be raised. The poor will be seen as people with dignity. Survivors of all kinds of sexual violent aggression will be compassionately heard and walked with along the path to health, healing, and wholeness. No one is a throwaway. No one is a throw away. So as we think about resetting our expectations, I think we really ought to create space for ambiguity of my own personal preferences and opinions so that there's room for respectful dialogue to allow Jesus Christ to do something new and different in the world of those who are marginalized in so many different ways, and disempowered. Because that's ultimately what got Jesus crucified. Now this text, as if that's not powerful enough, I mean, he just adds layer of power and depth upon depth. I mean, that's almost enough for one day. It's almost like I can't take anymore. (laughs) You feel that way? I feel like, oh man, this is hard-hitting enough. But we're only halfway done. Because now he goes on to set up the prophetic role of John and Jesus. And how counter the prophetic role in the life of the church today is in terms of a primary expectation. Because most of our expectations about what church is today deal with things like we talked about. Tell me what I want to hear. Make me feel a certain way and I'll comfortable. You know, you'll hear this phrase a lot. Uh, so-and-so's doing this now. Oh, that, the person's really feeling it. You know, they backed away from their commitment over here. Why is that? Now oh, they're not feeling it. We have very different expectations then. Jesus and John were prophetically declaring to church people first, the Jews, 
and to the politics of the world that this is an entirely different way to order social life together. The prophetic word is needed today. It ought to be embraced. So often we set it aside because we want to feel good and be told what we want to hear. To our detriment, Because I don't want you to expect, Jesus says, the same old, same old. Don't expect a big Hollywood celebrity who is there echoing public opinion or a spokesperson for the wealthy. Expect the prophet of Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. prophetic word is hard, and it's hard because no one likes to hear the prophetic word. <laughs> That's why discipleship's so difficult. It's really difficult to live by the red-letter words that Jesus actually said. And yet, that's the task of discipleship and pastoring. So I would hope that we would be able to live into a stronger appreciation for the prophetic word of God in Jesus Christ. Because that's what changes people's minds. And we saw some powerful stories of that in the news this week. All right, I got to move on because I don't want you to be ambiguous about me. <laughs> this always brings disagreement. It brings persecution, really. It brings hardships. So, ambiguity, right? On behalf of the, and the marginalized, we do ministry on behalf of the marginalized. We elevate the prophetic voice in our culture. And when we do these things, we're going to get amped, and honestly, we're going to get persecuted. It's not going to be popular. It's not popular. It becomes div disturbingly divisive. They didn't like Jesus being so political. They didn't want him being political with a new realm of God politic as an alternative way to live. Jesus broke all their rules. He broke everything that they had been doing for the last 105 years. He touched people and became unclean. He healed on the Sabbath. He got into arguments about money. Jesus basically breaks every one of their single, silly, little rules. And so the story, actually one of the, I get embarrassed sometimes saying things like this, or curious, or excited. One of the uh, commentators called this last parable in the story, are you ready? The parable of the brats. It did. The parable of the brats. Now, uh, 
softer, more politically correct commentators call it uh, the parable of little children, right? You know little children when they're playing together and they don't get what they want. They take their marbles and they go home. That's what happened in the story. He's, he's, saying, he's saying people in Jesus' generation didn't like these expectations. And so they, they, they took their marbles and sat on the sidelines and, and watched everybody else who was engaged in it. And after a while, they just got so fed up because they couldn't control God anymore that they took their money and they went home. Now, I realize this is not a popular message. I realize this could, ought be a stinger. And the really good news is, I just get to explain what's in the text. I don't claim authorship. <laughs> so what's happening here, here is they, many of the, the children of the day didn't like what they saw, so they took their marbles and they went home because they just didn't get their way. Like little kids do when they play parlor games, right? Because, and here's the truth of the matter, folks really don't want to discover how God's at work as much as they want to control what God does according to their expectations. So there's this this crazy insertion into all these amazing, wonderful stories that we've all been grateful for, and then there's this boom. What's this thing all about? Well, this thing's all about what's going to get him crucified eventually. This struggle of expectations. I would hope, as a community as a ragamuffin band of followers of Jesus Christ who really are, and I believe we are, committed to going with a conspiracy of love that we would hit the reset button on our expectations of everything church. Be willing to just kind of blow them up. Just blow them all up. Set them aside so that we're not afraid of ambiguity, because right in the midst of ambiguity, Jesus is even in the story. In fact, Jesus is the cause of others' ambiguity. The truth of God in Jesus Christ is the truth and the cause of many people's doubt because he was not fulfilling what they thought he should be doing. And Jesus says very simply, it's not about your expectations. It's about the realm of God. On behalf of the marginalized who have no voice, that's the prophetic word for today. And it certainly isn't popular. It's, it's going to get us into some trouble. It already has me. 
and many here. But I find that the thrill of living in the day and times that we do. Because who said being a Christian today or any time should be safe? Do you remember C.S. Lewis, the Chronicles of Narnia series? When they're talking about Aslan? Who is Aslan? Aslan's not nice, but Aslan is oh, oh, so good. My prayer is simple. My challenge is simple. Let's let's get our expectations amped. Anybody here ready to take the amped challenge? You want to take an amped challenge? If you commit to having your expectations amped, would you please stand up? If you can. Yeah. It's a strong word, isn't it? Are you, are you as odd with this as I? There's nothing. People say being a Christian is a crutch. It's easier to be a Christian because you can lean on something. No, it's harder to be a Christian because this is the hard work of deep discipleship. It really is. You inspire me. Let's stay inspired together. And God, infuse us with the courage to be amped as your holy people. Let's pray. And while I'm praying, uh, let's have our friends come back up and lead in a song. Loving and holy God, uh, I, do, I don't like these sermons. You know that. My wife's been freaking out in the back. Her heart rate's beating. Her palms of her hands are sweaty. And she's not even saying this stuff. And yet my confession is, feel the same way. But it's not about my expectation. It's about faithfulness to the call of God in the person of Jesus Christ who stands in the center of this assembly this morning. Challenging all of us. Breaking down our assumptions. Deconstructing us in ways we never thought we would, we would need to be deconstructed or even wanting to be deconstructed. And yet, in 25, 30 minutes, we deconstruct and reconstruct. And it's by your hand that it's done. Give us the courage and the playfulness to live into the truth of a conspiracy of love that compels us to go with expectations that are amped. In your name we pray. Amen.